That's what this coalition is aimed to do. First starting in the Midwest and with Phil and the utilities that joined in the South and the East to put that foundational network of fast chargers in place. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Earlier this month, EEI and more than 50 of our member companies made an exciting announcement. The Electric Highway Coalition and the Midwest Electric Vehicle Charging Infrastructure Collaboration have merged to form the new National Electric Highway Coalition. The new coalition also brought in new electric companies and currently consists of more than 50 investor-owned electric companies, one electric cooperative, and the Tennessee Valley Authority. The coalition is committed to providing electric vehicle fast charging stations across members' services territory by the end of 2023. On today's show, we are joined by Kellen Schefter, EEI's Director of Electric Transportation, and two members of the coalition who helped to spearhead the development of the early regional coalitions to discuss how the National Electric Highway Coalition will work to achieve its goal of filling infrastructure gaps along major U.S. transportation corridors, the need to support the growth of EVs across the country, and more. The members joining us today are Matt Fork, Vice President of Federal Legislative Affairs at Ameren, and Phil Dion, Vice President and Chief Customer Officer at American Electric Power. Kellen, Matt, and Phil, welcome to the show. So Phil and Matt, both of your companies AEP and Ameren were part of the original charging coalitions before they combined forces. From your standpoint, how will your customers benefit from this larger partnership? And Phil, let's start with you. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and be a part of this podcast because it's is really the benefit of the customers is, is really the primary reason for putting together these coalitions. Uh, when we were looking at the adoption of electric vehicles in our service territory. Uh, we noticed a number of things, including the fact that, you know, we cover a lot of ground at American Electric Power. We're, we're across 11 states. Uh, it goes from Texas to Michigan, all the way to West Virginia and Virginia. And so long distance charging uh, was one of the things that you know, we noticed immediately that we would have to resolve, not just for our customers, but for ourselves. As we were adopting more and more electric vehicles into our fleet, we made commitments in 2030 to be 100% electric in our light duty vehicles, uh, we needed to ensure that we had the ability to traverse <clears throat> multiple areas of our service territory. And in doing so, you know, even cross over state lines in order to help other utilities. So when we began looking at this, we had two primary objectives. One was our system objective to ensure the safe, reliable uh, and affordable operation of our systems, uh, but also as we were putting in charging stations for those uses and needs, we were able to say, well, we should leverage this as well for our customers, because we know that customers are interested in purchasing electric vehicles, but that you know the, the ability to travel long distances is an initial hurdle that a lot of our customers were facing in, in we're factoring into their decision whether or not to adopt an electric vehicle. So the combination of all of that made sense for us as a 
you know, 11 state system, it became immediately apparent that by participating with other utilities across the nation, uh, that, that, that scale, the reason for that scale would, um, you know, benefits would multiply. So when you know, we saw Ameren's coalition, the one that, that they spearheaded come about, we saw our coalition, uh, we immediately began thinking, all right, this is, this is far greater than just our service territories or even our region. This is a, this is a national issue. And so uh, we, were, we were really excited uh, to work with you know, Matt and, and his coalition uh, as well as with EEI uh, to bring about, you know, the, the exciting uh, announcement that uh, that was recently made. And over to you, Matt, a, a little bit about how, how this came to be for you all and, and really how your customers are going to benefit from these efforts. Thank, thanks, Brian. And thank you for having me here. I'm excited to talk about uh, both uh, the, the Midwest and what that coalition uh, started and, and how this has evolved. It helps our customers in three primary ways. You know, if you kind of step back and look big picture, the first is with sustainability and uh, the environment. Uh, so Ameren, along with uh, other utilities, have made pledges to be net carbon zero. We, as a utility industry, uh, are not the biggest emitter of carbon. The auto industry is. So to the extent we can help with that and help our customers with that, we think that's really exciting. And that's a place uh, we can play on the team. Also, something that's important to us uh, and our industry is customer affordability, keeping costs stable and predictable. And we, when you look at electrification, I mean, how does that help? Well, you know, it helps because we're a fixed cost business. And to the extent we can have more billing units of customers charging uh, electric cars against those same fixed costs, it helps keep costs stable and predictable for all of our customers. You know, and I guess the, the, the maybe the last but not least, uh, customer confidence to think about and buy an EV. I, I mean, it, it's, it's just exciting. Uh, you, we, we hear it in the news. I mean, Rivian rolling off their first trucks uh, weeks ago, the Ford Lightning, the Ford Mustang. I mean, Tesla's been in the market for a while. Uh, I forget the numbers, but I think the number of new models available to our customers uh, would double, you know, in the next 30 months. And so customers are going to be thinking a lot about EVs and the practicality. And I think one of the things we can do as, as infrastructure companies with electric energy is to, to be ahead of that curve and getting that infrastructure in place and then talking to our customers to give them confidence. And so that's what started in the Midwest. Uh, that's what we started thinking about. Um, you know, Phil's right. It, you know, if a customer wants to leave St. Louis, which is where we're headquartered and, and head up to, uh, you know, AEP's ter territory in Columbus, Ohio, they, they, you know, they just want it to be easy and they want it to be seamless. Uh, and, and they're not thinking about leaving Ameren, Missouri and going to Ameren, Illinois, and then going to Duke in Indiana, and then crossing over to AEP. They just want the infrastructure to be there. And so that's the role we play. And that's why broadening it uh, outside of our respective fences and working collectively, both first in the Midwest and as, as Phil did with uh, a really exciting network that they led uh, and now with EEI, that's really exciting. Brian, I'm going to jump into something that Matt said, because I think it's, it's really important. He nailed it with the, the, the three-legged stool that he talked about. His concluding remarks are, I think, the ones that resonate really a lot, I, I think, with those of us who work in the utility industry. Our customers have certain expectations, and those expectations and those timelines are shrinking. Those of us in the utility industry know how long and often it takes for that infrastructure to be put in place. And how many different times we go through the planning cycles to try to meet our customers' needs. And we'd have to do a little bit of prediction in, in order to do that. This is a little bit of everything that we've ever done, plus a little bit of new, there's a newness to it. We've 
planned and, and dealt with a lot of things over the course of the century to provide our customers with electricity when they want it, where they want it, and how much ever they want. It's really the only commodity that you really get that. It's delivered as much as you want, whenever you want, right? wherever you are. Well, we've done that with stationary sources really well. Now we have mobile. <laughs> there are, the, there are these, these, these mobile sources, uh, and those customers expect that same sort of treatment. And, and the only way for them to get that is for the utility industry to be out in front and planning for this. You know, we know that the turnover of vehicles is going to take some time. We know that there's, you know, all those announcements and we all look to 2030 longingly. But in order for our customers to have that great customer experience that Matt talked about, the planning needed to begin in 2019, 2020. And and that's nothing new to us. You know, the electricity that you are provided with your home today, the planning for that happened, you know, sometimes decades uh, in advance to make sure that we had that that reliable electricity for you. So that really resonated with me with what Matt said and in the role that that this coalition is playing. It's the recognition that we will be fueling a significant part of the economy in the future. And in order to be prepared for that, while there's still time, uh, we need to be actively planning and working together to solve those issues for our customers. So, Kellen, can you talk a little bit about how EEI convenes some of our member companies to make sure that they're learning about what's new and what some best practices are? And then maybe a little bit about how this national coalition came together and, and what EEI's role is. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. So, EEI as an organization is very CEO driven, meaning we take a lot of guidance from our member company CEOs for, for every issue you can think of. And we've been proud to stand up an electric transportation task force among CEOs uh, for the last several years. And so any new initiative like this that we that we put out to the industry, whether it's electrifying our company's fleets or this National Electric Highway Coalition, we sort of run through that task force. So we're really excited when we bring these initiatives to them to get their leadership and support for everything that we're doing. I think that really helps propel our industry forward. You know, it's really fun to work, I think, in the electric uh, company space. Uh, our members you know, tend not to be competitive in, in the traditional sense, right? They have service territories that they serve. And so that really allows a, a really collaborative environment. But I will say the CEOs are sometimes competitive for, you know, a, a leadership, for attention, right? People want to lead on this issue, I think, in a very positive way. And I think this coalition has allowed us to really channel that energy into a really uh, a positive outcome. And I think this coalition is a great example uh, of doing that. Um, as a little background for how this came together, you know, it really is credit to uh, Matt and his team, Phil and his team, um, for really starting these these initial coalitions. And I think, you know, from very early on, it became clear that these were growing, that there was a lot of interest. Again, that competitive nature among CEOs wanting to be a part of this, I think, was really helpful. And we had a number of other members saying we would love to get involved, but, you know, we're out in the West or we're not, uh, you know, adjacent to these other territories that have already come together how do we get involved? And so I think making this truly a national effort really allowed us to bring in, you know, the extent of our, our membership across the country. So we're really excited about, you know, really having the maximum reach among EEI membership um, really leveraged here. And as we've heard, automakers are offering more and more models and we're really seeing the growth of EVs take off. Kelly, can you share a little bit about how many are on US roads today and what sort of projections EEI has made kind of looking into the future about how many EVs we're planning for? Sure, it's a great question. I think this is why this is so timely. 
So we typically track EV sales starting in December 2010 when the Nissan Leaf and the Chevrolet Volt hit the market. So from December 2010 to November 2018, it took a, a, about eight years to hit 1 million EVs on the road. And we, of course, celebrated the 1 million EV mark back in November 2018. It took less than three years to get that second million EVs on the road. We hit that mark earlier this year. So now with 2 million EVs on the road, of course, we're very excited and we see the trajectory and sales pace increasing. But we still, of course, have a long way to go um, with more than 250 million light duty uh, vehicles on US roads. Um, in terms of the sales projections, you know, we're looking, again, uh, you know, 2 million EVs on the road today. We're pro projecting maybe by 2030, end of 2030, there could be more than 22 million or in the neighborhood of 22 million EVs on the road. So again, 10x growth you know, through the end of the decade, uh, which is again, a huge, a huge acceleration, but again, a long way to go ahead, ahead of us. Um, but I think one thing we are seeing is that you know, the charging infrastructure needs to slightly lead adoption, right? To have the drivers make that transition, to have the confidence, they need to see that it's there before they jump in. And so that's a moving target as well. There's about 10,000 DC fast charging ports uh, available to drivers today that are not proprietary, meaning open to all EV drivers. We expect that will probably need to grow by a factor of 10 or more as well through the end of the decade. So that's the target that we're sort of tracking and why I think bringing all of this effort and all these funding you know, sources to bear is going to be so important going forward. That's a big projection for 2030, but looking at the National Electric Highway Coalition, I see that they have some targets and commitments for 2023 to help build that foundational fast charging network. So that's going to be here before we know it. So the member companies have a lot of work to do. Matt and Phil, can you tell us a little bit about what kind of work already is underway for your member companies? Thanks, Brian. That's a really good question. And there is a, a lot of work that's underway and yet a lot of work uh, yet to happen. I think when you, when you think about our customers, there's two problems we're trying to solve for EV charging. Uh, the first opportunity is, you know, for those that uh, don't have a, a garage or a carport, right? 80% roughly of people will charge at home. So how do we solve the problem for the other 20%? And in that case, it's, it's workplace charging and it's, it's getting charging in multifamily dwellings. The, the National Highway Collaboration is not that. It's the other problem that uh, customers or the, the other gap or, or solution that we need to think about uh, as a utility. And that is when a customer needs to have confidence to get outside of their normal commute, you know, not just going to work, not just taking kids to soccer practice, but they want to go from, again, I'll pick on Columbus, uh, you know, they want to go from Columbus, Ohio to, to Denver. They want to get from uh, Oklahoma City up to Detroit. Will that, that foundational charging network be in place, charging infrastructure every I'll say 40 to 50, 50 to 100 miles. That way the customer knows they have confidence to look at an EV and it won't be limiting that they will be able to drive it uh, whenever, however they want uh, and know that that charging infrastructure is in place. So that's what this coalition is aimed to do. First starting, uh, you know, or in the Midwest and, and you know, with Phil and, and, and the utilities that joined in the South and the East to put that foundational network of fast chargers uh, in place. Uh, those that have signed on to the, uh, the EEI-led national coalition have committed to work in good faith within their regulatory and legislative jurisdictions to, to, to do that by the end of 2023. So a foundational or a fundamental charging network uh, throughout our service territories and also coordinating with adjacent utilities to make sure uh, we're not putting them right up against each other as our service territories, uh, you know, one ends and the other one begins. And Phil, maybe you can talk a little bit about the projects that you've already done and maybe a little bit about are you looking for where the gaps are and to make sure you're able to 
fill in those gaps as part of these efforts. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I agree with everything Matt said, and I would add in, in our view, um, two areas that I'll, there's kind of the two P's, the planning and the partners. Uh, and so we've, we've done the lion's share of the planning. And Brian, you mentioned the gaps. That's, that's really what this initiative or the initial initiative we were a part of was to identify the gaps, if you will, in service. So we know that Tesla, although you can only charge a Tesla vehicle there, but we know that they have certain nodes. Uh, we looked at those. We thought about the possibility that those nodes might ultimately one day charge more than just Tesla vehicles. We also looked at the Electrify America and coalition, if you will, and where they had placed things on our, in, our, in and around our service territory. And what we discovered is, is you know, we, we do for them, you know, the Midwest, you know, you think it's, it's all about the coast, but in the Midwest, we did have some good coverage. And in fact, Oklahoma has significant coverage uh, in the DC fast, for the entire state in, in DC fast charging. So we were able to look a little bit deeper into our service territories and get, as well as, you know, making sure that the highways were connected, but then there are some other you know, well-traveled byways uh, that we decided, you know, those are areas and gaps. And, and instead of, you know, we'll use a little bit of the geography, instead of driving from one portion or maybe Akron, Ohio, then having to drive back to Cleveland in order to drive over to, you know, to Pittsburgh, we said, you know, we, we, we really need to make sure that, that those in-between areas are covered too. So well-traveled in-between areas. And so we did a lot of that planning and, and we were pleased to, you know, when we, we did that. And again, you know, we're from, you know, Texas to West Virginia and up into Michigan. We were pleased to find out that it, it really wasn't going to take a whole lot of, of electric vehicle charging stations to cover those areas. We were pleasantly surprised with that. Now, the number of chargers at each location will have to grow uh, from where we are currently planning. Uh, but for now, it, it, it looked really, it, like I said, it looked, it looked like something that we should be doing and that's, that's what we went ahead and did. So that planning has already occurred. We have identified all of the gaps. We've identified all the areas. Uh, we're working with our planning folks um, to just finalize some of the, if you will, the numbers. But we looked at it from, again, the, the customer's point of view. Where would I want to stop? How, where would I need to stop? And then from our own transmission and distribution point of view of, okay, now within that circumference, where are some prime locations uh, for us to put in these, these, these fast charging stations? So we've, we've gotten there. The, the next step is getting the steel in the ground. And that's, you know, what we're really excited about. And we are looking at, you know, kind of the different ways and different methods of doing that, including partnering uh, with, you know, folks that, that are in the charging business uh, so that we can provide the infrastructure, but, you know, they can do what they do best, uh, which is, you know, operate charging stations. So we're in that, you know, I won't call it the final phase, um, but uh, we're certainly, Brian, you know, at, at the end of the beginning, so to speak, uh, and we're moving towards the beginning of the end uh, because we, we do want to install all of these stations, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. So we're, we're, we're far along on that process, uh, but we're just narrowing down, you know, the, the partnership models and other things that, that, and again, we have different operating companies, so they may, some may want to own it, some may want partners. We're kind of finalizing those ownership models, if you will, uh, and then you'll you'll see us you know deploying capital and 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 uh, putting steel in the ground. So 
And that's the real exciting part about all of this. And some of that process too is working through your, your state regulatory commissions on these proposals as well. Absolutely. And, and this is a, you know, one of those things that uh, it's, it's also better to be, you know, lucky than good. Uh, and, you know, the advent of the, uh, the coalitions uh, that took place, you know, about a year ago, um, the, the timing of it with the infrastructure bill uh, certainly is going to be good. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a good problem to have uh, in that, you know, we may be able to leverage some federal dollars. And so when we go into our commissions to explain you know, why we are doing these things and, and uh, how we are leveraging federal dollars, but why we also need to invest capital in this area and the benefits to all customers, um, that is going to be a significant part of the story. And, and Matt really addressed this uh, with his discussion, you know, kind of a coverage of fixed costs. You know, the, the benefit, Brian, is anytime we can get people to move large swaths of electric usage to off-peak charging, that means our asset allocation is better, which is code for lowering or keeping our rates um, lower. Uh, because the system costs are, are spread out better. And that's what electric vehicles do. And so in this case, you know, we will be talking to our commissions to say, you know, putting in these electric vehicle chargers are going to accelerate adoption of these vehicles. As Matt mentioned, most of them are going to charge at home. Most of them are going to, by the vast majority, will charge, you know, overnight. And that benefits everyone, including the low-income customer who doesn't have an electric vehicle, uh, and so that's that's really the uh, the exciting part of the story uh, to really to, to talk to our, our commissions about. And just one comment on the on the lingo here. I know we've heard charging stations, charging ports. So just to make the distinction, you, right now you go to a gas station, and the gas station might have a dozen pumps. So when we're talking about stations, it might be that place that you go to, and each station likely will have multiple ports. So those are going to be the individual plug. So just for listeners here, there is a bit of a distinction and sometimes they're used interchangeably, but definitely a little bit different there. So Matt, Phil did mention the bipartisan infrastructure bill and it's allocated more than, or it's allocated seven and a half billion dollars for EV charging infrastructure. At EEI, I know one of our core messages is that we need this funding and more because there's a lot of work in order to electrify the transportation sector. So how would companies or are there opportunities for, for companies to leverage some of these federal funds to help accelerate their goals? Yeah, thanks, Brian. That's a great question. I, you know, I, I'll go back to the formula that Phil used uh, with the two Ps, you know, planning and partners. The dollars, Brian, you mentioned from the bipartisan infrastructure bill will come in two buckets. One bucket is a normal state allocation that'll flow to states. Uh, I'll speak for Ameren uh, on the Missouri side. I think it's just uh, just under 100 million over five years. And for the Illinois side, I believe it's 175 million for EV charging over five years. But then there's also a $2.5 billion grant bucket uh, where you know if we have plans with partners, uh, we can pursue those grants as well. So I think it's it is it is uh, about uh, the prepared will benefit I believe the most be it the state uh, and how states will allocate how we help state state regulators state stakeholders understand the opportunity with the dollars have plans across our entire states uh, outside of our respective service territories to understand again where EV charging uh, chargers and ports uh, and charging stations should go 
where are the gaps? Uh, where are the population? You know, where's the data tell us that would be well served and those types of things. So big opportunities. Uh, and I'll, ref- I'll kind of reframe it, if you will, how, how Phil did with, you know, I think to to the spoils go those with plans. And I also believe in the spirit of how we work as utilities, uh, doing that with partners, be it in our jurisdictions, in our states, or across the larger areas, much like this national coalition of partners uh, that EEI is leading today. And then know that the, or we make available a map that shows the current members of the National Electric Highway Coalition. And you can see the area for the participating member companies and their service territories. And you definitely do see that there are major travel corridors that might not fall exactly in our member companies' territory, but it sounds like there's a critical role for our companies to play as they're working with their states and other key stakeholders to try to make sure that that infrastructure still is available along those corridors. Yeah, that's that's correct. I think looking at it through the window of giving customers confidence uh, and where is that best position to put those charging stations, be it in an investor-owned utility footprint, an electric co-op, or maybe a large municipality. And in addition to confidence and not having that range anxiety, I don't know, Kellen, if you could talk a little bit about just the benefits of switching. So for people who may not or haven't had a chance to research, what are some of the benefits of owning an electric vehicle and what might be the process if they need to charge it at one of these stations? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy to talk about that. I mean, I think, you know, our, our colleagues here mentioned a couple of them, but, you know, the the immediate carbon reduction, of course, is huge, right? Um, anywhere on the system now, anywhere you're plugging in, even if you account for upstream emissions from power generation, you're still saving or reducing emissions over burning gasoline. Um, there's air quality benefits, which is less about, you know, climate change. It's more about local air quality, which is really going to matter we start talking about trucks and buses and, and major you know freight routes, but also you know passenger cars have a big piece to do with that as well. Um, I think though you know for customers it's going to come down to ease of use and affordability ultimately, right? I think and the benefits there you know we're, we we've talked about quite a bit. If you can charge as as Phil and Matt both mentioned, you know overnight with a long period of time, you're you're on residential rates. You're probably saving two or three X over what you might pay at the at the gas station, compared, depending on what gas prices are doing. Um, and then there's the ease of use thing, right? We get so hung up on the public fast charging and that's what this coalition is about because it's so important to give drivers confidence. But I think we also need to keep in mind that for drivers who can start each day with a full tank of gas, if you will, in your battery because you charged overnight or because you're leaving work and you have a full battery, right? Because you were able to charge at work. That's the ultimate convenience, right? The, the, the fast charging will come along and that'll get improved and we're all part of that. But if you don't have to worry about going to a third location to fill up your, your vehicle uh, for most of your daily driving needs, that's a huge convenience. And I think that's what will catch on when people get more comfortable with the technology. And then of course, you know, we're seeing more and more vehicles in more segments, right? You know, in the early days, as I mentioned with the Leaf and the Volt, these were fairly small sedans. Uh, going forward, we're seeing more pickup trucks, we're seeing more SUVs, which are more in the heart of the U.S. Uh, market. Um, so I think, you know, more and more the cost proposition, the convenience proposition will ultimately win out, setting aside all the other environmental or, or you know, ease of use benefits that I mentioned. And what are some of the, there's been quite a few, but as you look at announcements over even the past year, whether it's big corporate fleet electrification commitments or OEM manufacturing commitments, what are some of the most exciting ones that we've heard in recent weeks, maybe even. Gosh, there's so many we could talk about here. I mean, on, on the on the corporate fleet side, there's a bit of an arms race now. I think the new corporate sustainability is really around fleet electrification. Um, we've seen, you know, companies that operate big fleets, uh, whether it's 
you know, PepsiCo or FedEx and UPS, um, this is going to be part of their sustainability plans now, right? And we've seen Amazon make a huge move in this space. Um, not content to wait for vehicle availability, they're investing in Rivian to deliver uh, delivery electric delivery vans for their own purposes. So that, of course, I think is a huge um, undertaking and I think really set a, a big marker for where commercial customers may go. We're also seeing a bit of an arms race on the auto manufacturer side, right? Um, this is starting to get very real when you start talking about major supply chain issues, manufacturing in the U.S. Um, and you've seen, you know, General Motors, Ford in particular, make really big announcements in this space, which has major impacts for jobs and, and economic development, which we could talk about more at length. But um, when you start to see that supply chain manufacturing base catch up to the aspirations that have been uh, you know, vocalized by some of these companies, it, it starts to give us confidence that that this really is real and it's not a question of, you know, if it's going to finally happen, it's, it's really a question of how fast can we do it. it looks like you want to add something there, Phil. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the other thing that happened, and I don't know if it was because of the infrastructure bill, but one of the things that's really exciting about that bill is just the basic recognition that electric transportation is going to be a part of our future. I mean, there did, that has been an unknown for a, a period of time. And I think the federal government has sort of put the stake in the ground saying this is, this is going to happen and we're going to begin funding this. And so I think all of these things that, that, that Kellen mentioned, one of the things that I think is most beneficial is that it's not a fight between hydrogen or electric you know, transportation. I think people are seeing that both of those things are going to be necessary uh, to move transportation to a more sustainable and economically favorable uh, mode of, tra of, of transportation. And so um, I, I look at all of the announcements, uh, the most recent one of Toyota, uh, as well as something that's very encouraging um, because, you know, they, they have uh, for a long time, you know, been involved in the hydrogen side and uh, their, their recent announcement on the electric vehicle side is really encouraging to me because it's not an either or, it's a both. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the signals that are certainly being sent uh, by the federal government seem clear. The market, which some of them moved before those signals came out, I think is also moving in the right direction as well. And so all of that uh, certainly... Uh, makes the Electric Highway Coalition, the National Highway Coalition, look really good, like a really good idea. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we we do do planning for a living, and so we, I'm not going to say we saw all of this coming, uh, but we certainly saw enough inertia in this direction uh, that it, it gives us a, a sense. While we're we're thrilled to be where we are, it's still in instills a sense of urgency around you know the need for our involvement. And then I know it was mentioned earlier that electric companies are working to electrify their own fleet vehicles. So I don't know, Phil, if you're able to share a little bit about how AAP is looking at its own fleets and whether you're able to take what you're learning to further help your customers that are looking to adapt. I know that uh, Kellen had talked about some of the big ones out there, but we've even heard some recent bold announcements from the federal government and its intent for its EV fleet. Yeah, thanks, Brent. We, along with the majority of the you know, utilities have uh, have made commitments around electric vehicles. As I have mentioned, we, by 2030, all of our light duty vehicles will be electric and about 40% of our fleet 
um, will be electric. Uh, and, and, you know, it's one of those things where there, there's a couple of benefits to it. One, you know, all the benefits that we talked about, both from an economic point of view uh, and an environmental point of view. Uh, but also, you know, when our customers ask, what do you drive? Uh, you know, you, you, you want to say, well, we, we drive electric vehicles and here's why. The other benefit that we're getting is really good insight into how people use uh, electric vehicles. And so I'll just share this anecdote because I just found it really fun is, you know, we, we have electric vehicle charging at our location and we throttle you, meaning we kind of control how you, you charge. And we do that for a variety of reasons. Uh, but one of them is, you know, the, the impact on our, our buildings, our facilities, the impact on our system, and we're looking at all those things as we, as we do. And so we're learning a lot about our system and a lot of, a lot of what, you know, things that, you know, can we, can we handle it? And it turns out we, the vast majority of cases we can. And what sort of upgrades will we need in the future? But Brian, one of the things that's absolutely fascinating to me is we're also getting some good insight on customers. You know, we, we utility people are customers as well. And if you come in early in the morning and you plug in, we'll charge you to a certain level. What we've discovered is that our employees have figured this out too, and they'll go on their lunch hour, they'll, they'll disconnect their vehicle, and they'll reconnect it so that they can essentially beat the system and get, if, if you will, double charging. And so uh, it, it, it's just one of those things that, that is fun to talk about, and it's just a, a small lesson that we're learning about customer behavior. But it's important because as we work with you know the, our our customers, a lot of the customers that we're going to work with, whether they're residential customers or you know commercial fleet managers, they haven't had a whole lot of experience with with electric vehicles. Uh, you know, I think of the fleet managers especially. You know, they they've had a lot of experience with fueling, um, you know, more experience fueling uh, vehicles than we do. But not a lot with you know KWH and, and demand charges and you know all those words that we use as utility folks. So uh, you know we're we're beginning to see those things and 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 like I said, see the system impacts. But we're also learning in real time a lot of customer customer preferences, and so we'll be able to share those with uh, with those other customers as they we help them try to manage the their their utility bill uh, in and around the electric consumption because there there is the potential, Brian. It depends on the size of the fleet and depends on the size of the workforce. Uh, but there is a potential uh, for, you know, the charging of vehicles to be greater, much greater um, than the facilities themselves where, you know, we all used to go, well, certainly before COVID, used to go and work. Uh, and, and so if, if we're not in front of that a little bit to help those customers, uh, then I fear there might be a little bit of a backlash on electric transportation. And that's not what we want for all the reasons we spoke of before. So just a, a fun little anecdote to share with the with everyone to, to let you know that uh, even utility people act like customers uh, and, and they'll, they'll try to figure out what's best for them. And that we, the utility, we want what's best for you, but we also have to uh, ensure that it's best for everyone else and, and for the system. And so we're working on those problems right now. And if, if I could add, Phil, to, to, to your answer, um, I, think, I think customers right now are looking to us for answers. Um, that may not be true three years, five years from now, but we're still in the early phases. We sat down with a large customer about a year ago that operates a fleet, um, and we started talking about uh, the transition of the fleet to electric or maybe hydrogen charging infrastructure, et cetera. And they kind of looked across the table at us and said, 
wow, wow, you can do that. that that's coming. Uh, and, and, you know, I, a lot of our customers, you know, the big sophisticated ones, not, but a lot of our customers, which, you know, make up a big footprint of our commercial industrial load. They're just, I always say they're head down making their widgets, right? They're, they're, they're just, you know, they're making their week and their quarter. They're really going to look at us. I believe the, our industry, uh, uh, each of us in this utility industry and this electric utility industry for answers, support guidance to really bring value to them, bring the right answers. Um, and, and show credibility. And I think we can show credibility back to, uh, you know, how we're leading together uh, on a national collaboration uh, and also show a value uh, as we as we work with each of these individual customers to bring solutions uh, that work for them. And that's exciting. And that's, a, that's an opportunity that uh, this also presents to us as an industry. So, Brian, you ask about announcements uh, that have happened recently. Well, let, let me share two uh, that unless you're probably watching electrification closely in St. Louis, uh, you, you haven't heard of, uh, but, but I think they're interesting. And I think they, 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 they tell a story. Uh, the first is university city, which is the home to Washington university, you know, 10 minutes from the arch of downtown St. Louis, they made a decision to transition all of their parks fleet, which I think is maybe four or five vehicles to electric vehicles, uh, and also do so with some incentives that Ameren has to uh, pay up to 50% of the charging infrastructure uh, at their parking lot. And I think that, so that was one announcement, largely under the radar, uh, a partner, uh, obviously, of ours and in the community, so something we watched about six months ago. You know, just a few weeks ago in Brentwood, Missouri, again, another municipality, 15 minutes from the arch of downtown St. Louis. Their city council passed electrification. So make ready. So any new building uh, or any substantial remodel within the municipality uh, must be wired for electric vehicles. And I wanted to share those announcements because, uh, you know, I love the saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I am really excited about EEI's leadership in a national charging uh, network and a highway coalition. And it's really uh, exciting and it's necessary. However, to solve this problem, it's going to take uh, a lot of stakeholders doing a lot of things. And I think, so I, I share those two stories only to show the, the pulse or the uh, actions happening all around us in our communities as it pertains to electrification. What we are doing as investor-owned electric utilities is also critical, but there's a lot going on, uh, a lot of little announcements, uh, in addition to some of the big ones that were mentioned on, on this podcast that I think are, are worth noting and for us to, to celebrate as well. So for the last question here, uh, I just want to acknowledge Matt and Phil that you both did a tremendous amount of work to recruit and bring more organizations into your regional initiatives. And then working with Kellen, you brought even more companies and organizations into the National Electric Highway Coalition. Are you done recruiting or do you all still have more work to do to bring even more stakeholders into this process? Well, I, Brian, thanks for the question. I'll, I'll go first and Phil, you can have the last words here. I'd say the recruiting is never done and the work is never done first. Uh, before I go there, I, I would just say, you know, while uh, I'm the one maybe talking from Ameren, uh, it's really, you know, we went together uh, both within Ameren and within the Midwest Coalition. And, you know, we had six original members and it grew to 12. And now it's, you know, pivoted and, and joined and merged and it's, it's growing in great places. So it's truly a win together team effort. You know, and I would just say that, you know, oftentimes we think of the utility industry as 
you know, define service territories and not thinking beyond our fences. You know, we, the, the Phil and, and, and Kellen and I sat on a panel yesterday and Phil, I'll give you credit for this because you broached the subject, but, you know, we actually do some things really well collectively. Mutual assistance when there's a storm, we help each other. You know, we operate as a, as a collective utility industry, we operate about a hundred nuclear plants across the country. We, we, we share ideas and we learn every day because we understand that our fleet is only as good as the weakest uh, unit within that fleet. Uh, I think this is one, another area of uh, this electrification and charging networks uh, that we can really uh, lead and work together uh, as we do in storms, as we do in some of the other parts of our businesses. So I'm excited about that. The work is never done because customers and the customer experience never ends. And uh, we are just getting started in that uh, and we are excited for it. So, Brian, the other thing I would add is that I, I think the success of the coalition is that the, the model is, is very flexible. Uh, you know, we at AEP have, you know, as I mentioned, 11 states and seven different operating companies. If your model isn't flexible, uh, it's not going to survive. It, it won't survive the nuances of each state. Uh, and, and so one of the things about this coalition is that while we have certain expectations and we've all agreed that we're going to meet those expectations. Um, we're, we're allowing folks to get there in a few different ways um, because we don't want the perfect to be the enemy of good. And, and, and so the model itself allows the flexibility to address the different operating companies in, in my own company that, that resonated with others. The other thing that I would say is that, you know, once folks learn about the national coalition or about the coalitions, they're inquiring of us because they want to know how you were able to do that. And once we talk about the flexibility, that gets rid of, you know, kind of their first questions. But then the second part, and I, I know that I'm never going to change people's minds on range anxiety, but we all know that our customers are concerned about the infrastructure. And so you know, I refer to it as charger anxiety. I, I know how far I can drive. I know what my range is. It's just when I get there, is there going to be a facility? Will it work? How long will I have to wait? Are there, you know, are there more than one charging areas? Is my particular, you know, charging port, you know, how, how many different ones do you have, et cetera, Brian? So I, I think one of the really great big benefits of this is that because uh, people like Matt and, and their coalition and, and, and our coalition, we, we address kind of all the hard questions up front. Uh, that all the things that were that were that needed to be addressed, that once we were able to get that hard work done, and, and I know that that hard work took months and months and months. The result of it is, you know, the, the fact that we were able to attract a number of people, and then after the announcements, you know, people really uh, got engaged. And, and my understanding is that after the recent announcement of the, the national coalition, you know, EEI is seeing an influx of of not only just questions, but desires to, to be a part of this coalition. So uh, I would just say that, you know, all the hard work that, that Matt and his team and his coalition and, and, and our coalition and then working with Kellen over the past few months uh, has, has really, I'm not going to say made recruitment easy, uh, but it, it is really paying off in dividends right now. And as Matt said, it's never over because, um, you know, we, we still have a ways to go with our friends in municipal power, uh, the co-ops and other things, because, you know, they, they are great. They, they are great partners uh, and they do cover a substantial part uh, of, 
of the United States, including adjacent to, to our service territory and most every IOU service territory. So uh, more to do there, but hopefully, you know, the, the model itself is one that, that, that most folks will like and uh, will allow for quick adoption. Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the National Electric Kite Coalition and just the work you all are doing throughout your service territory for your customers. I imagine we'll be talking about this a lot more in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. Thanks for having us today, Brian. We really appreciate it. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.